Let's open the portal to the dark side of politics. Meet the Sith Lords who work in the shadows, skillfully destroying powerful men and women with the power of their minds. There's a, an art to, you know, buttering up the local clerk. And, uh, you know, I very often bring baked goods. All right, that's Shauna Daly. She's not a Sith Lord, but she does know how to use tasty snacks to get the information that she needs. She's an opposition researcher, and her job is to dig into a candidate's past and find things that voters won't like. That means going through huge sets of data and stacks and stacks of public records looking for anything, any little thing that somebody might have missed. That's what Shauna was doing for the Obama campaign when our story begins. It was April of 2007, so, you know, Hillary Clinton was running, John Edwards was running, Barack Obama was running, a few other folks. If you run for federal office, you have to file an FEC report. They're detailed lists of a campaign's income and spending required by law. You know, tens of thousands, if not, you know, hundreds of thousands of lines of data. When you're trying to get something on a candidate, these FEC reports can really be like a huge gold mine. Because when they come out, reporters and campaigns and super PACs and all these other kinds of people start going through them, trying to find that one damaging piece of information. I would just spend hours just sorting it by purpose, by um, states, by name. And then you just start hunting for anything. Shona was going through the FEC report for John Edwards. Edwards was a really popular guy back then. He was handsome, running as a man of the people. My father worked in this mill and others like it for 30 years. I worked here when I was young. Now it's closed, the jobs are gone. To the Obama campaign, Edwards and his Southern charm was actually like a real threat. They really wanted to burst his bubble. So Shauna was reading through his FEC report line by line, and she found something. There was one uh, transaction that really stuck out at us. Uh, it said it was to pink sapphire. Those are words that um, you know don't really appear too often in, in these very dry reports. So, uh, so we Googled it, and it turned out it was a hair salon in Manchester, New Hampshire, um, and then we, we ended up finding a few additional uh, hair salons that had um, large uh, purchases, including one for $400. And so I, I amed that to, uh, to Ben Smith at Politico. Well, I was covering the Democratic primary, and so I was hearing constantly from the, uh, the Clinton, Edwards, and Obama campaigns. Ben is now the editor-in-chief of BuzzFeed. But back in 2008, he was just a plucky blogger, and he was pitched oppo, we in the business call it oppo, from people like Shauna all the time. Shauna's instant message about Pink Sapphire and the $400 haircut would turn out to be some of the best oppo of the cycle. Here's why. John Edwards is a great-looking guy with a great head of hair. But remember, he's also a guy who ran as an everyman, a supercuts kind of guy, not a $400 haircut kind of guy. You know, it just seemed like a silly thing. But again, it was feeding into the storyline that John Edwards was, um, you know, sort of vain and, and cared a lot about his hair. And so, um, but it was never intended to be, you know, a, a big story. It was just a funny thing. Ben wrote a quick blog post about the haircut. But that little detail in that little post turned out to be really kind of a big deal. Which brings us to tonight's word. 
$100 haircut. So this is actually one of those moments from the movies where top advisors are slapping their foreheads, watching their candidate go from man of the people to out-of-touch rich guy. We've had a Congress that spent money like John Edwards at a beauty shop, and it's high time. It's no coincidence that that happened. Shauna and the Obama campaign, people I talked about it, you know, realized simultaneously that it was very explosive and also that it was kind of ridiculous, as, as, as did I. And I think, you know, that's, that's politics. you got to be able to hold all these things in your head at the same time. The haircut heard round the world. Oppo at its best, or worst, depending on your point of view. This is No One Knows Anything, the politics podcast from BuzzFeed News. I'm Evan McMorris Santoro. Today, Oppo. This is actually a really weird year for Oppo. And that's mostly thanks to the guy that's making everything weird this year. Donald Trump has confounded the Oppo system in two ways. First, Republican primary candidates were caught off guard by the Trump campaign, despite there being a ton of oppo they could have used against him. They didn't have time to make the message stick. They didn't have time to use the stuff. They couldn't take him down with it. Second, Trump is running this really bare bones campaign. Only about 70 people currently work for him, and he doesn't even have his own opposition research team. That's really weird. On this episode, we're going to hear about how Oppo works from two guys who used it to blow up the last two congressional elections. And we're going to talk to a real, live, undecided voter about how negative ads affect her vote. Spoiler alert, she says that they really don't. And Ben Smith is going to be back to talk about how Oppo and journalism worked together in 2016. Moments like the haircut are usually what people think of when they think of opposition research. Fluffy, maybe silly stuff, taken out of context and spun up. But the meat and potatoes of the business is usually more substantive than that. Two of the biggest oppo wins in recent years came from people paying attention to something someone said in public. Something that could be used to create a narrative. In 2012, a researcher at a Democratic oppo firm called American Bridge watched a local TV interview with a guy named Todd Aiken. He was a conservative and Republican candidate for Senate. When an interviewer asked him why he didn't support exceptions for rape when it came to a ban on abortion, Aiken said he was opposed because women couldn't get pregnant if the rape was quote-unquote legitimate. First of all, from what I understand from doctors, that's really rare. If it's a legitimate rape, uh, the female body has ways to try to shut that whole thing down. But let's assume that... It was a crazy thing to say, and Aiken lost because he said it. In fact, most of the Republicans running that year suffered because of what Aiken said. The researcher didn't go digging for Aiken's comment. He just watched it happen on TV and sent it to a reporter. Full disclosure, that reporter was actually me. Two years later, in 2014, Republicans were the one with the oppo coup. Democrats were desperate to hold on to their majority in the Senate. To do it, they needed to win the Senate election in Iowa. Their candidate was Representative Bruce Braley. Now, Iowa is a state where farmers are very important. And Braley insulted them, and it was caught on tape. You might have a farmer from Iowa who never went to law school, never practiced law, serving as the next chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Here's the story. 
The other senator from Iowa is named Chuck Grassley. He's a Republican and he's a farmer. When Republicans took over the Senate, he became the chair. That's what Braley was warning against. But Braley is not a farmer and Grassley is. So when he made a joke about a farmer running the Judiciary Committee, farmers were pissed. What Braley said was true, but it made him sound like a real jerk. The tape was played over and over and over and over, and Braley lost the election. This is how oppo works. Rodell Molyneux was the guy who ran American Bridge when the Aiken oppo went out. I'm the former president, actually the founding president of American Bridge 21st Century, which is a research and tracking super PAC um, dedicated to making Republicans' lives miserable. <laughs> He's now a political consultant in Washington. Joe Pounder was one of the people in charge of America Rising when it took down Braley. And you mostly work with Republicans. That's the key. Uh, just You're Republican with Republicans. Republicans. All the conservative Republican side. Okay. He's still an oppo guy for the GOP. I sat down with both of them to talk about how the oppo business works today. So I'm looking at both of you. You're both very nicely dressed. You look very like normal people. <laughs> but you're these like what is it like to be the like the dark artist, like the grand masters of the dark art of politics? Like what does that mean? How does that everyone seems to think of what opposition research is as like the darkest, deepest, scariest part? Like why is that? Well, I mean, if you watch the movies, it's all the always the oppo guy in the corner who's like Big, burly, disheveled, you know, it usually has a stack of papers or whatnot, uh, or is about to go dive into a dumpster looking for uh, the best personal oppo he can find. Uh, that's usually not the case. Uh, usually our, our guys are, you know, 25, 26-year-olds who are at computers all day long, digging around, looking for information. Uh, and oppo world, at least in the 10 years that I've been doing it, has become a lot more transparent, a lot more in the open, has really come out of the shadows, and it's a it's a big business. Yeah, so you know a lot of people just don't like, like viscerally don't like the idea of opposition research, right? When they think of it, they think of like that That's... moment when somebody like put out that old uh, Barack Obama's kindergarten essay where he's like, I want to be president, and he's supposed to show that he's some bad person. Just like, I mean, defend the job to me. D defend that's, why this is an important part no, that, of politics. That's, that's complete bullshit that people don't like opposition. Of course they do. People like negative ads. They say that they don't like negative ads. <laughs> they don't like negative campaigning. But if you ask people after an election five things that they remember that are positive about a candidate, especially a candidate that they weren't voting for, they couldn't give you five, but they can give you ten different things that they saw on television or read in direct mail or on the radio or what have you of why that candidate sucks. So th this idea that opposition research is bad, like, no. You know, I mean, listen, research is the building block of any campaign. They're just getting all the information. They're just gathering it all, you know, and, it, and it's not necessarily the information itself that is dangerous or that is toxic, that is bad, is what then you do with the information. You know, it's kind of like anthrax. It's anthrax is anthrax until you weaponize it. You know, th then it's a problem. It's kind of, it's, <laughs> it's a good thing. It's like anthrax. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we kind of view ourselves as content providers. You know, we provide content to the pollsters who will test it. We provide it to the direct mail guys, to the digital guys. You know, it is the citations that are in the paid media campaigns that go forward. You know, Riddell is exactly right. You really can't have a campaign without that basis of information. And that basis of information is the oppo research work. So it really drives, I think, everything. And, you know, K Street, I think, is littered with 
a bunch of candidates who lost elections because they thought they could go 100% positive. You really need a contrast message. On the flip side, I would say it's also littered with candidates who thought they could go 100% negative, too. You know, so contrast messages usually are what wins elections. And I think that's what we're in the business of providing that content to people. You're telling both sides of the story, right? You know, you're, you're giving somebody something to vote for, but you're also giving them something to vote against. Let's talk a bit about how the process actually goes. So what's the first thing that you do? What's the first thing that you said about doing when you hear about a candidate that you may be facing? Yeah, I, I don't want to bore bore people, but it's, it's no, really it. a process that begins with taking all the information that's publicly available that you can find. And in today's age, that's more information than you actually know how to deal with. Uh, you take everything from their official bio, their personal financial disclosures, you know, their resumes, their LinkedIn profile, their social media, you know, their personal financial disclosure, for example, a lot of debate in this cycle about those. Um, you take every investment they've ever had, every paid speech they've ever given, and you start asking more and more questions about it to the point where you piece together what we call a research book, which basically has a full detailed analysis of their lives and the opportunities that you can exploit. But that's really, it's as simple as that. That's our first step. So you pull that together and you get this big book. What happens then? Like who, who gets this book? Who looks at this book? What, what, I mean, this more, this, this is where you come in, right? Rodell is yeah. a communications guy. What do you do? So, you know, someone like Joe would make this book up mm -hmm. and you get it. What do you do then? What you're looking for are, it's not that one killer opposition research, you know, the time they did this or that, you're looking for narratives. So you're looking for proof points of a bigger um, of a bigger thing. So look, let's just take, for example, with Trump, right? It's not necessarily that, you know, that, that he said um, what, what many would consider racist things about a, um, a judge of Mexican heritage uh, who was born in the United States. It's that you're trying to you're you're trying to paint the, the narrative. Uh, he's doing a pretty good job of himself, but trying to paint the narrative that 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 he's racist and xenophobic, right? So that becomes one proof point. Or actually, to tell you the truth, that's not even opposition research. He introduced that in, right? Mm -hmm. So then. As a person who's using opposition research, you are now looking for what are the top three, four, five things that he has said that will help me make my larger overall narrative that he is a xenophobe and a racist, right? And then we start figuring out ways, you know, are we going to get them to, you know, to people like you in the media to write about them? Are we going to give them to ad makers to see whether or not, you know, we can get them in, you know, in ads and so on and so forth? And that's kind of how you build a campaign narrative. What happens if... Um... You know, what happens if uh, you, Rodell, get an oppo book that Joe made for a candidate that you have? I mean, does it really help you out if you were to see what he dug up? I mean, it sounds like a lot of it's public record. Because I mean, we're having this debate right now because it seems like a lot of Trump opposition research mm -hmm. done by the DNC was uh, maybe stolen by some Russian hackers or hackers and is now out there in the public world. Yeah. Is that a really bad day for the Democrats that, that all that stuff in that book is out there? Uh, it depends. This this kind of goes back, and I mean, and not. Uh, I won't make the anthrax joke again, but it really <laughs> does matter. I mean, research is just like it's just words on paper until you figure out a way to use it. You know, if if I got a hold of one of Joe's uh, books about like a candidate of mine or what have you, yeah, of course you'd want to read it to see what they have. You know, at the same point, you know, the other side of this, other than the opposition research. 
And, and we didn't do this at American Bridge. American Bridge is an opposition research um, uh, super PAC. But, you know, campaigns are doing their own research on themselves. What else is different? And I wonder anything about this cycle specifically, because we have two candidates running for president right now who people really know a lot about on both sides. Right. Does that make it harder to do opposition research on them or does it make it easier? Well, I, I think they're I'll, I'll let Joe talk to the actually gathering of the research because you know when someone's been in the public domain for 30 years i mean like listen if, if someone uh you know if someone's 40 and they've got maybe like a five to seven year public service record or what have you it's a lot easier to finish that book and to kind of get you know everything that you need versus someone who's been around for 30 years you know which is uh, both secretary clinton and donald trump so the getting all the stuff together part you still because you still have to do that and you can't assume that people know there's a whole new generation of voters that don't really know as much about Secretary Clinton as, you know, some older voters might, you know. And so it's sort of like kind of a re reintroduction. And on the Donald Trump piece of it, people know him, yes, as a celebrity, you know, television star, but they don't know him as a policymaker. They don't know him. They don't really know his political beliefs or leanings. And tell you the truth, other than the fact that they know that he's in business, they don't really know what his business is and what he's done in that business. So um, so in some ways, even though people say that they know both of these candidates or they think that they do, you're doing a lot of reintroduction uh, to voters as to, no, 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 this is who they really are. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to the gathering information, you're talking about two candidates who have a huge amount of data surrounding their professional, business, and personal lives. So the one thing that this cycle has really taught me you know, not only from the rising standpoint, but then having done, taken a leave to do the Rubio campaign was just how important time is. You know, we began research on Hillary Clinton in 2013, and it took those two, three years to really gather all that information, get the narrative set, and to start pounding on things like trustworthiness or judgment and so forth. So it took, and all the foundation data and so forth, bringing that all together, it really takes time to put together that when, you know, when I was with Marco Rubio and it finally came time for us to take on Donald Trump at the end of February 2016, like there wasn't time. We had four days before Super Tuesday to really get narratives to set in. And one of the lessons I took away from the Rubio experience, too, was there has been a huge proliferation of I would call them content farms, news or websites that purport to be news sites. Uh, but they're just aggregating stories all day long or rewriting stories. Uh, there are a lot of pro-Trump sites like that that would take rumors that normally you wouldn't even, would never make the news, would never make uh, a mainstream news outlet, that they were just writing them up, posting them, and all of a sudden they would get out there. So that was like, it just really got huh. to me how important it was to constantly be feeding stuff out there through any channel you could uh, and that, I think, is actually going to put more demands on the oppo researcher guys to put together more information about the candidates that they're looking at. Because I think, Riddell, you, you hit it on it earlier, everything is an opportunity. Mm -hmm. It's finding the right channel for it. And now, I think, after, especially after what I saw in the primaries, there's a lot of channels to be fed. The narratives that people like Joe and Rodell craft from their research can really come to define a campaign's message, especially in what's called paid media. TV and radio ads, social media that come from the campaign or are paid for by a super PAC. Bimbo. Dog. 
fat pig. Real quotes from Donald Trump about women. If you ask voters, they say they really hate this part of politics. They despise it when a candidate goes negative. They hate negative ads. They don't like any of it, at least in theory. Political operatives think they're wrong. Voters don't know what they like, according to people who run campaigns. Campaigns go negative because going negative works. I called up Dominique Mednick. I found her with the help of polling firm Benedictson and Armandi International. Hi, how are you? I'm doing really well. Tell me a little about where you're calling from. I guess we're calling you at your at your house. Where is your house? Dominique lives in a swing state. I'm in West Palm Beach, Florida. She's a small business owner. I'm a salon owner. Um, I own a hair and makeup business in South Florida. And she's about to be a mom. Yes, I'm four months pregnant with my first boy. He's a boy. So this election is very important to me. Uh, do you have a name picked out for the boy yet? Are you going to go with Evan? It's not a bad one. <laughs> um, I, I, we have a couple of contenders. I'm not 100% sure on my choice yet. <laughs> There's one other choice that she hasn't made yet. The both candidates raise really, really good points, but they both scare me. She hasn't decided if she's going to vote for Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. You're a, a business-owning woman who's about to be a mother living in a swing state who hasn't made up her mind. People like you are the people who decide elections in this country. So you're going to be getting a lot of people are going to be trying to change your mind with uh, advertising and with messaging and phone calls and all that stuff. I'm sure you're used to that at this point. So I want to talk a bit about what kind of things do you need to hear to help make up your mind? Like if somebody calls you up and says, hey, Donald Trump, is a total, he's a terrible person, and he's horrible, he's mean to people, he's mean to women, whatever. Does that help turn you to Hillary? I mean, what what does it? No, because we already know all, I already know that about him from what he's already shown himself, but I can't really think about those things. I try to take their personalities out of it and just really want to know, like, what their plans are. You know, um, the main issues in this country right now are, you know, foreign policy, obviously, um, Healthcare, you know, that's a huge one. And women's issues for me is a big one because I am a, you know, independent woman business owner. And that to me is super important. So probably if somebody wanted to talk to me about my small business and the tax situation would probably get my attention more than anything, um, especially, and I know that's going to come from the Trump side. You know what I mean? That's why I'm in such a conundrum, I guess. Do you feel like candidates generally come at you with that policy stuff? I mean, do they talk to you the way that you want to be talked to? No, I don't think so. Um, I think, you know, especially when it came to women's issues, um, immigration and healthcare, it, it always seems to be the same song and dance that the questions never get answered. They just throw in all that negative propaganda to kind of throw us off. And I, I think that's what's turning me off and probably a lot of the swing voters that are women and business and, you know, who are kind of indecisive right now. Do you think that politicians generally treat you with respect when it comes to trying to earn your vote? No, I don't. Well, listen, uh, I want to thank you for coming on the show today and I want to wish you good luck with the pregnancy and, uh, you know, do be careful uh, not to get too close to any negative political advertisements. You don't want that getting into into your son too soon, I think. 
No, I don't. I, I'm going to try to, you know, just really do my own homework and try to feel confident about what I researched and what I found out. But yeah, I definitely don't want to, you know, make my decision on, you know, them slandering each other. That just, you know, doesn't really help us. All right, we are back on the line with Ben Smith, editor-in-chief at BuzzFeed. Ben, we just heard from Dominique Mednick, unaffiliated, undecided voter in Florida. I asked her how this messaging that comes from oppo teams, all this negative advertising and all the sort of ugly things that are said about candidates and all that kind of stuff that flies around this time of year affects her vote. She says it really doesn't and that she wants to talk about just the issues. But earlier in the show, these two Oppo guys completely, you know, rejected that idea and said voters love the nasty stuff. So, like, who's right? I mean, I think that most people, and I don't think there are a lot, I mean, I assume there are some people who think, you know what, I, what I really am interested in Donald Trump is his policy white papers. And that's not the, the issue, the, the question on which I'll make up my mind. But I think most people want to know, particularly with executive offices like the president, who these people are, they might be voting for. I mean, to me, the most important piece of reporting of this type, and I wouldn't really call it up, but I'd call it reporting, was uh, Andrew digging up uh, Donald Trump's many, many hours of interviews on the Howard Stern Show, which revealed the disgusting things he says about women, his views on all sorts of different foreign policy issues, and his, view, and, and his views on a wide range of issues that he's really tried to reinvent. Andrew is, of course, Andrew Kaczynski, and he's one of the reporters that we have who has a team underneath him, and they dig into all this stuff. They basically do what oppo guys do. Andrew goes back and, like, digs into old stuff, and he pulls out all this great old stuff, all these old tapes of, 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 of Trump and stuff that Trump has said. He's not the only one doing it. The Washington Post, of course, has done stories about Trump's charitable donations. The Boston Globe did a bunch of stuff about Trump and his businesses in Atlantic City and casinos and all that stuff. Reporters are doing this work, too. And the other, and I guess also, one thing that that reporters do that drives opposition researchers crazy is that we don't hold negative information until the most damaging possible time. And so oh, I think yes. you know one thing that that Andrew has done that really frustrates campaigns is that he will unearth some very interesting piece of information and write about it rather than we. And the campaign had had that information and was sitting on it for release in late October. One weird thing that keeps happening now is in the old days, and you mentioned this idea, right? You know, a, a researcher might point a reporter to a public record. That reporter would go and double-check the source or go and dig in further and write a story that they put their byline on, didn't really mention where they got the tip from. And then at the end of the cycle, all these researchers come out and start saying, oh, yeah, I'm the guy behind that. I'm the woman behind that. I'm the person who did that. It seems like kind of a weird breaking down of the deal, isn't it? Like, why does why is it so important now to put to put your name on something that in the old days no one wanted to put their name on? I think they always secretly wanted to put their names on. It's just all <laughs> that process stuff is now out there on the internet. I mean, I was pleased. Like, that was a good spot by Shauna, right? And I'm pleased that, and you know, she and I, I think I got her to agree to allow me to describe that process a while ago, and I'm glad, you know, like she deserves credit for it, right? <laughs> I guess that's true. It just seems like, like the thing. The thing that I know some opposition researchers find kind of annoying is if they're, and and I don't think this, you know, is is if you have a reporter out there patting themselves endlessly on the back about something that you dug up and handed them, and you know, I think there are some r reporters 
who subsist largely on oppo and that that's like a little lazy right how is it going this cycle it feels like it's a little bit different when you have two candidates that are so well known and have so much backstory to them uh and so many you know sort of built-in narratives as well uh, it looks like the Republicans in the primaries kind of struggled to use sort of standard campaign tactics against Trump. How do you think opposition research is working in this particular cycle? I mean, I think that, you know, Trump, it's interesting. Trump has been reported on really extensively. There, Wayne Barrett, Tim O'Brien, both great reporters, did really thorough, bio, thorough, incredibly damning biographies of him. And, you know, you can pick dozens of facts that you might think would be disqualifying for other officials and I think, or for other candidates. And I think sometimes people say like, wow, God, this stuff really hasn't stuck. But then you look at the poll numbers and he has his just historic unpopularity rating. So I think that shows that people are paying attention. When you were getting this kind of stuff in the old days as a, as a blogger and you, and you published a lot of it, obviously you did a lot of your own reporting as well. Do you feel like that that process has changed at all since since when you were doing it? Is there more of it, less of it? Can you sort of put that in any kind of perspective based on what you've seen? Um, I think the thing that's interesting now is that increasingly campaigns are just going direct, not just with Oppo, but just with everything, right? Like that you no longer need to give the text of a speech to a reporter and hope they'll print it. You can put it on your website. You no longer need to buy, you know, to hope that a blogger will post your video, you, you, you can put it on your socials yourself. I think in general, there's kind of an elimination of the middleman. And you see increasingly campaigns, I think the Clinton campaign has some new site about Trump's business failures. You see them do, you know, publishing their research themselves, which I think is great. Like that's, you know, why not? Better, better that it's totally transparent. It looks like opposition research is going to be here to stay for a while anyway. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think campaigns are always going to be looking for that silver bullet. All right, Ben. Well, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show. I appreciate it, man. It's always good to talk to you, Evan McMorris Santoro. <laughs> oh, the full name. Thank you, Ben Smith. <laughs> so here's what we've heard. We've heard about the haircut heard around the world. We've heard from two of the best oppo operatives in the country who are really proud of what they do and have no problem doing it and are happy to keep doing it and are going to keep doing it. We've heard from a voter who insists that what Oppo is has no effect on her and actually she hates it. And we've heard from Ben Smith about how Oppo and journalism work today. You're going to hear a lot of opposition research over the next five months. Clinton allies are going to keep pumping out information about Donald Trump and good reporters like Andrew Kaczynski are going to keep digging in on him. Trump still doesn't have the staff to match Clinton's oppo operation, but there are plenty of Republicans and reporters who are working to dig up stuff on her as well. So right now, Clinton is the one with the best oppo. And that's part of why she's winning the election today. She has defined Trump using all the things that he said in the past. Trump is starting to try and do the same thing to Clinton, but so far it hasn't stuck. No One Knows Anything is produced by Meg Kramer. Editorial oversight from Catherine Miller and Eleanor Kagan. Production help from Julia Furlan and Antonia Sarahito. Our music was recorded by Beauty Pill. You can find us on iTunes, on Twitter we're at BuzzFeed Paul, or you can email us at no one knows anything at buzzfeed.com. 
I'm your host, Evan McMorris-Santoro, and we'll be back next week with more things we don't know.